We're in this series, we've called it Endurance. And we're not thinking so much about the tiredness that comes, you know, when you're physically drained, right? You know, when you have interrupted nights because of babies or preaching or whatever. It's not that kind of physical tiredness for most of us that you get when you work really hard and your muscles ache. We're not talking about that kind of tiredness, although if you are tired, then maybe it, it's appropriate, maybe it fits. We're talking about the kind of tiredness that doesn't uh, get felt in the muscles, but it gets felt in the heart. That kind of drained feeling that I think many of us have as we're going through this winter. It's not the winter that we were anticipating a year ago. Maybe it is the winter we were anticipating a few months ago. It's draining, isn't it? With the lockdown and with you know, everybody's life being affected in so many ways, whether you're at school or at work or whatever, it's affecting everything and it's just tiring. And then you turn on the news and you feel more drained. And the whole thing just kind of wears us down. And so we thought what we needed was to have a series on endurance, something that could help us, encourage us to keep pressing forward. I've used the analogy of cross-country running uh, because for me, when I was at school, running cross-country was an utterly miserable experience. It was lonely, it was wet, it was cold, it was slow, it was far too often, and it just was a horrible thing. And I don't want this winter to feel like cross-country running used to feel for me. I'd much rather it could feel like a park run, right? Park run is this community event, global, apparently, not at the moment, but where you'd have a, a community coming together and supporting and encouraging each other so that the run that you do actually isn't quite so bad. It may be exactly the same distance. It may be just as physically tiring, and yet that kind of community feel can really lift us and help us to keep going. We want to have more of a park run feel than a cross-country at school feel for getting through this winter. And one of the things that really helps with a park run, apart from each other, and of course each other is massively important, the other thing that really helps with a park run is the marshals. The marshals are those people wearing the yellow or green or whatever color they are, I don't know, I'm colorblind, but the bright high-vis jackets, the vests, and they stand at strategic locations around the course and they cheer you on, they clap and they say, well done, keep going, and it doesn't matter if you're the fastest runner they've ever seen or if they can barely see that you're running, they'll still cheer you on. They'll clap you and, and help you and it's a wonderful Thing to have those marshals. And so on the Sundays in January, we have four, now five, we've extended the series, right? We've got five marshals, five Bible books wearing high vis vests that are cheering us on and encouraging us to just keep going. Hang in there. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it through. Keep going. And so here we are on week three. First week, we were in Hebrews. And in Hebrews, it talks about running the race that is set before us. It talks about how we do that by looking to Jesus, who's run his race already. Last week, we went to John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're discouraged, they're confused, they're downcast. And he gives them a three-chapter speech to lift them and to encourage them to keep on going. 
And today we come around the corner and we come to a marshal we might not be expecting. I had that when I marshaled a few times at Parkrun. I wasn't really officially marshaling, Mariah was, but I, I was just hanging out with her. But I noticed a few times people that knew me, when they noticed me, kind of did a double take. And I, I'm sort of asking myself, now I come to think of it, is it because they don't think I'm encouraging? Like, is, is there a reason that I'm not a good marshal? I don't know, but I, I, I clapped and I cheered and I helped them. And, and I think that when we come to the book that we're going to look at today, we might do a double take. We might say, what? That, that's not what I expected for an encouraging Bible book. The book is the book of Romans. Right? Romans, a big, hefty epistle. It's not that there's anything wrong with Romans, but it's just that it's not what you expect in a high-vis vest on a Saturday morning. Right? The book of Romans is quite intellectual, it's quite theoretical, it's quite full of information, it's, uh, I, I don't want to say academic, but it just feels a little bit, perhaps a little bit too heavy going to be a really good encouragement. And so down through the years, for the past 2,000 years, Romans has been viewed as kind of the, the pinnacle of Christian thought. It's an ideal book if you want to study something about Christianity, and if you want to write an essay, or if you want to take an exam, then you better know Romans. But if you want to be encouraged, eh, maybe not so much. Romans has always been seen as kind of the, the king of the jungle in Epistleville, right? It's kind of the, it's the one that has the power and the muscle, but not necessarily the sensitivity and the care. Now, all of those things on a positive note are true. Romans is a wonderful epistle. Paul, in the letter to the Romans, gives an incredibly uh, kind of wide-reaching, significant presentation of the truth of Christianity. Uh, sometimes, I suppose, we talk about, uh, you know, there's teaching that's like milk for babies, but then when we mature, we go on to solid food. Well, Romans is a proper steak feast. And so maybe not the most encouraging book. I think actually it is, which is why it's in the series. And I'm going to show you how it is in just a moment. First of all, let me just give you kind of a, a superficial high view, if you like, of the steakiness of Romans. All right, the, the kind of the, the chewy, apologies if you're a vegetarian, but kind of the, the, the kind of heavy chewing content that there is in Romans. I'm going to give it to you in the simplest way I can think of. Romans, Paul is writing to Rome. He'd never been there. He was uh, writing this letter, and in this letter, he's presenting Christianity, and he starts off in, uh, when he gets past his introduction. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And then he says, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of of God is revealed. And, and just a kind of a simplified way of seeing the book of Romans, if we divide Romans into four chunks, all four chunks are talking about God's righteousness. 
And this is kind of how it works. Chunk one, at the beginning, he says, we all lack God's righteousness. All of us. doesn't matter how uh, kind of unreligious, you know, completely against religion you are, or if you're religious, or even if you're Jewish, doesn't matter. We all are lacking God's righteousness. We fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We are all in trouble. We lack God's righteousness. But then the good news comes. From chapter 3 through to chapter 8, Paul says, God gives us His righteousness. We don't earn it. We can't achieve it. We can't be good enough because we've all fallen short. But God gives us a gift, and that gift is His righteousness, good standing with God. God makes it so that we can stand up tall in His presence as judge. What an amazing thought. God's righteousness gifted to us. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's the second part. We lack God's righteousness, but He gives us His righteousness. Which then raises a question, because when you get to the end of chapter 8, he's going on about how amazing it is and nothing can separate us and God's made these promises and, and it kind of raises an issue. What about Israel? God made promises to Israel, but they seem to have drifted away. They didn't seem to be in a good place. Maybe God's promises can't be trusted. Well, chapters 9, 10, 11, Paul says, actually, yes, you can trust God's promise of righteousness. And with that matter settled, you come to chapter 12 through to the end, and that's the final section where he says, okay, now we've got to live out God's righteousness, our practice of it. And he gets all practical in terms of how Christians can now live the way God wants us to. So there's a simple overview of Romans. You kind of get the sense, don't you, that it's quite a rich, chewy steak of a book. We lack God's righteousness, but it's good because He gives us His righteousness, and we can trust His promise of righteousness, and therefore now we can live out His righteousness. That's the book of Romans. But that's not all the book of Romans says. If that's it, if that's the whole thing, then I would probably tend to agree, let's take the high-vis vest off and put it back in the classroom. This is brilliant stuff if we want to study salvation or something like that. But I'm going to say no, let's keep Romans out there on the course. Let's have Romans speak to us because even though the the theology, the truth that is there is like a steak. There are some side dishes in this meal, all right? And one of the side dishes that Paul gives to us is hope. Let's call it a hope salad, shall we? A nice hope salad. He offers us hope. Now, people have said for years, Paul never went to Rome, so he just gave this kind of theoretical presentation. That's not fair. All roads lead to Rome. You ever heard that? That's because in the old days they did. All the roads led to Rome, which meant all the roads led away from Rome, which meant that people were going back and forth all the time. Paul knew what was going on in Rome. He knew how the Christians were struggling with different issues. And so when he wrote Romans, he didn't write just a stake kind of an epistle. He wrote with the heart of a pastor. 
He wrote to encourage them. He wrote to help them. He wrote to offer them not only steak, but also a side dish of hope. And so in the book of Romans, what we're going to find is that the word endurance, the word for our series comes up six or seven times, and the word hope is used, I think, 13 times. And what I want us to do for our message today is to look at three little passages in Romans, three little sections, and we're going to say, okay, how do we make this hope? What are the ingredients for not just hope, hope, but Christian hope, because that's kind of what we need, right? How can we have a hope that is uniquely Christian to help us press on through this challenging season of history? Now, we're not going to see all 13 uses of hope. There's a couple in chapter 4. We're going to leave those for now. There's one in 12 that just kind of restates what we're going to see. But we're going to look at three passages. We're going to notice the word hope. And in effect, what I want us to do is imagine putting a bowl on the kitchen counter and we're making a side dish of Christian hope. What are the ingredients? Let's turn to Romans 5. How can we have hope? in the midst of all that is going on. So Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 1, he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is, since God has given us His righteousness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is that because He's given us what we don't deserve, if we are prepared to accept that gift, it means that we have right standing before Him. He's no longer the judge who is our enemy. We can now stand confidently before Him. And He literally describes that in verse 2. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's kind of triumphant stuff, isn't it? Because God offers us the gift of good standing before Him. He offers us the gift of a righteousness that we could never achieve, that is ours purely by faith. It means that He is no longer our enemy, that we stand in a place that we might as well call grace because it's so good. And we hope. What hope? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's kind of looking forward to the end of the story, knowing that when this life is over, it's going to be amazing because we're going to be with Him. But then he says, not only do we have that future hope to rejoice in, we can also rejoice in the present. Look at verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You might say, uh, no, we don't. (laughs) Naturally, no, we don't, right? We don't like sufferings. But Paul says that once God gets a grip on your life, once the good news of Jesus brings this incredible transformation to you, it is now possible for us to be in the midst of suffering and to actually rejoice, not the way the world rejoices, The way the world rejoices in suffering is to take enough substance to be able to get rid of the recollection of suffering. That's called drinking or drugs or whatever, entertainment, something to numb the pain. That's not 
what Paul's talking about. He's talking about fully conscious, fully aware, in the midst of sufferings, saying, you know what? I can rejoice in the midst of this. How do you do that? Well, look at what's going on here. There's like a progression. It's like you put sufferings into the bowl, like the first ingredient in this package, this uh, kind of recipe for hope. You put sufferings in and you stir it. And what happens? We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Over time... As the suffering continues, you discover that actually you develop a bit, of a bit of muscle to be able to keep going. Sometimes we surprise ourselves that we do hang in there. And so as the sufferings are stirred, endurance develops. Then what? Endurance produces character. That strength of character that comes through uh, from going through hard times. It's all just in the stirring of that suffering over time that, that we develop endurance, we're developing character, all these new flavors are coming out, and character produces hope. That's sort of encouraging, right? I suppose it's encouraging to realize that suffering isn't a digression away from what we're supposed to experience in this life. That's our tendency, isn't it? To think, oh no, I'm suffering, this shouldn't be. Lord, take it away, take it away. Actually, suffering may be exactly what God in his love for us chooses for us to experience. Suffering may be what we need. And so as we hang in there, our suffering leads to endurance, which leads to character, which ultimately gives us that sense of hope that, huh, this hasn't defeated me. I'm not destroyed. Maybe God knows what he's doing. Oh, yes, I've got hope in God. Now, we could develop that and preach about that and spend time thinking about that, but honestly, it's not that exciting, right? It's a little bit discouraging to think that, We've taken a bowl, we're going to produce hope, and all we've done is throw in sufferings and stir it for a while. But that's not all that Paul says. There's our part, that, that's like our experience, but then he adds something. Look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. That is, hope doesn't ultimately fail so that we look like idiots. That's what that means. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If all we have is suffering that brings endurance that leads to character and in the end we develop some sort of hope, that is a very human hope if that's all we have. That's the kind of hope that you can see with people who are going through a famine or going through a crisis or going, you know, growing up in a really tough part of New York City or wherever. Like you, you see people kind of become gritty and tough and even show some kind of positivity in the midst of it. That's a very human thing, but Paul is not talking about that here. He's talking about Christian hope. And for it to be Christian hope, it needs to have that ingredient that only Christians have. All humans suffer. 
But only Christians have the Holy Spirit in them. That's really important. That's exactly what Jesus said last week in John 14 when he says to his disciples, you're going to receive the Spirit. I'm going to ask my Father and he's going to send to you another helper whom the world cannot receive. You may be here today kind of familiar with, with Christianity. Maybe you've, you've read some of the Bible, you've heard some of the stuff, and, and it makes sense, and you go, yeah, fair enough, yeah, I'm tracking with that, I'm okay with that, but you feel like something's missing, you feel like you're not there yet, what's missing is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is given to us as we place our trust in Jesus, and that transforms everything. I can't even think of an analogy of what you could put into a recipe that would literally transform everything. I can, but they don't, they're not good enough. So I'm just going to leave it as a concept for us. We have suffering in the bowl and we're invited to keep stirring, but God adds His Spirit. And what does His Spirit do? Pours out the love of God into our hearts. That's why we have hope. Because no matter how bad things get, no matter how challenging our circumstance, if we belong to Him, He is pouring out into our hearts that reminder on a day-by-day basis, hey, God loves you. No matter how bad it gets, God loves you. Yeah, but I just got some really bad news. Yeah, but God still loves you. Yeah, but I'm facing a real challenge here. God loves you. I'm in the hospital. I'm struggling to breathe. God still loves you. And so whatever the circumstance, whatever the challenge, no matter how bad it gets, the love of God is being poured out into our hearts if only we have ears to hear if we belong to Him. And so we put in suffering, it's kind of the bit that we experience, the bit that we kind of have, and we stir that and God adds something that only He can add, His love poured into our hearts. Let's jump over to Romans 8, because in Romans 8, Paul is talking about hope in a world that's desperate for it. Right in the middle of the chapter, he talks about how the whole of creation is groaning, right? Like it's, it's kind of hanging in there, but it's not thriving, which is kind of how the world feels right now, right? Everything's not quite as it's meant to be. It's groaning, it's struggling, things are dying, things are hurting, things are fading, things are not working as they're supposed to. And then he gets down to, oh, where are we, verse 23. He says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, that is Christians who have, uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption of sons, we're kind of jumping in, there's loads of stuff going on, but basically we are here, like the world around us, we feel like we're groaning and struggling, waiting for something that's still to come in the future, and verse 24 says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's the same word, endurance. Okay, so there's the us part. Again, we are in a world of suffering. Things are not as they're supposed to be. It's like the creation is groaning, so are we. Things are not right and we feel it. And so we hang in there. 
It's like that stirring of the sufferings producing endurance, producing character, producing hope. That's, that's kind of what we're asked to do, to run the race that is marked out for us, to hang in there. But it's not just about us. Because notice what it says on the, literally the next verse. Remember in chapter 5, here's your bit, and then here's the spirit bit. He does the same thing again right here. Verse 26, likewise... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Last week, if you were here, if you watched the message, you'll you'll remember that in every part of that speech that Jesus gave to his apostles, his disciples, he said to them, ask. You're suffering, ask. You're struggling, ask. Ask in my name, ask the Father, ask and you will receive. Ask. We talked about how prayer needs to become maybe more central in our lives and maybe suffering is the, the avenue to get us there. Well, here it is again, only here, Paul is saying, sometimes we don't even know what to pray. Sometimes things hurt so bad. Sometimes uh, the discouragement seems so overwhelming. Sometimes uh, the, the, the pain is just too much and the ache in our hearts is just more than we can carry. And we come to God to pray and we open our mouths and we don't even know what to say. He says, in our weakness, the Spirit helps us. There's our suffering and we're stirring that bowl, trying to make something of it, but He adds by His Spirit. The love of God poured out into our hearts, chapter 5. The will of God poured out in prayer for us by the Spirit, chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That when things get so bad that we do not know even what we're supposed to say, we just say, oh God. And then we're stuck. The Spirit steps forward and says, I've got this. Father, what he's thinking is this. This is what she's feeling right now. This is what's weighing heavily on her heart. Let me express it to you perfectly. Let me express it to you with full expression of the emotion and the heartache and the hurt that is in this dear one of ours. And let me tell you, Father, exactly what's going on here. And the Spirit prays for us using not just words, but groans that are too deep to even put into words. Just wonderful blessing. I love how that is the setup for verse 28. Because once you add the Spirit in, what does it mean? It gives us perspective. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And then it goes on to describe that purpose, which ultimately is about being conformed to the image of His Son. All things work together for good for those that love God. We can't just throw that phrase around, just like we don't want to just throw hope around. Let's have hope. That's a bit flippant. All things work together for good. So is that. No, it's all things work together for good for those, for God's people, for the unique group of people that He has blessed and gifted with His love, His righteousness. And if you're looking in at that from the outside, you kind of go, well, I would like to be among those good. You're invited. 
The whole of the epistle to the Romans is like this very high-level presentation of the good news, but it's an invitation nonetheless. It's an invitation to stop trying to do life your way, to stop trying to work things out and to make things happen, and instead to just surrender all of that and to open up your hands, open up your heart and say, okay, God, let's go with your plan. Let's go with your gift of life. I'm going to accept what you are giving to me. I want to become yours. I want to be part of your family. And then, only then, the Spirit is praying for you on behalf of you. Only then the love of God is being poured out into your heart on an ongoing basis. And only then can you say with confidence, all things are working together for good. Even this bad news, even this challenge, even this financial difficulty, even this setback, even this failed interview, even this positive test. Whatever it is, all things are working together for good for those that are his, that belong to him. And he carries on. This is so good, we can't just uh, skip it. So verse 31, I just want to read a little bit more of this to you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Look at this. Who indeed is interceding for us. In verses 26 and 27, it was the Spirit interceding for us, praying to God on our behalf. Now in verse 34, we discover that it's the Son who is praying for us. Maybe you remember last year when we were still in the school, we were going through Hebrews and we, uh, I forget which message it was in the series, but there was this one little bit where we talked about the fact that Jesus is praying for you. Remember that? Two weeks before we went into the lockdown and we were able to think and to ponder the thought that when life is tough, when you don't know what to say, when things are a really overwhelming struggle. Know this, Jesus is praying for you. We even clipped it out of the sermon and kind of uh, made a video of it and released it because we thought that's so important. Well, here it is again in Romans. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Son intercedes for us. Whenever there's suffering, prayer is part of the mix. And last week, Jesus said, come on, it's the most obvious thing in the world. Ask. This week, Paul in Romans says to us, sometimes it's really hard to ask, but the Spirit asks for you, and the Son asks for you. Prayer is part of the recipe of hope. We have the sufferings. God adds His Spirit. Prayer is part of it. He keeps going. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, we could keep going and add a few more, couldn't we? Or corruption or uh, pandemic or disease or whatever, whatever the issues might be. Will anything like that, anything in our news, anything burdening us, separate us from the love of Christ? 
He quotes from the Old Testament, then he says in verse 37, no, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think Romans isn't too bad when it comes to offering hope. Right? You, you start with some suffering and you keep stirring it, but you don't leave it there. God adds to that by His Spirit, His love poured into our hearts. He adds to it by His Spirit and His Son, prayers on our behalf. And we find ourselves, as we're working our way through this book, just feeling more and more loved and, and safe and secure. And it gives us perspective to head into the week, but not yet, because there's still one more passage we need to look at. Chapter 15. Chapter 15, again, is going to talk about endurance. Again, it's going to talk about hope, and it's just going to add one extra little practical detail for us. Chapter 15, verse 4, Paul says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. He's talking about like the Old Testament, right? All the stories that are written down in the Bible. He says, whatever was written was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So there's the endurance, we're hanging in there, and there's the Scriptures. Something else that God puts in front of us, that God, if you like, kind of pours into the bowl of the recipe that we're stirring up. There's our suffering, but there's also His love by His Spirit. There's His intercession for us by His Spirit and by the Son. And there's His instruction and encouragement through His Word. It's so basic, but it's so important, isn't it? The encouragement that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just keep this really simple. If we want hope, we've kind of got all the ingredients, right? Suffering. Maybe a fairly small amount, relatively speaking, but maybe a little bit more than we're used to. And as we stir the suffering, it produces endurance and character, and, and hope comes from that. But this is Christian hope. This isn't gritted teeth, hang in there, you're getting to be quite tough kind of hope. This is a uniquely Christian hope. Why? Because God pours things into the bowl for us. The love of God by the Spirit poured into our hearts, chapter 5. The intercession of God the Spirit and God the Son for us, chapter 8. God is praying for us as we suffer. And then the encouragement of Scriptures. It's a really simple thought, but I wonder, I wonder if it's worth mentioning. If you're struggling, if you're discouraged, you're watching the news and it's getting you down, you're kind of feeling yourself kind of getting weak and, and like you're flagging, like you're not able to keep up the momentum in life, you can't face another Zoom meeting or another day without seeing people or, or whatever it is, if you're struggling, 
little reminder, are you spending time in God's word? Because this was written so that the God of encouragement could help us to have endurance. Are you spending time in prayer? Sometimes uh, I think we, we kind of miss miss what's going on in, in Romans 8 and we, we could almost think that well God will handle the prayer for me it doesn't say that it's in our weakness when we don't even know what to pray if we're not praying at all that's kind of different but if we're coming to him and we're praying and we're pleading and we're asking and we're, we're presenting our requests and we get to a point where there's nothing more we can say but there's so much more that we feel that's the point where the spirit jumps in and takes over and so are we praying like we said last week, maybe 2021, maybe our circumstances this year will cause us to pray in a way we've never prayed before. That would be a good thing. And when we get to the end of that and we've got nothing left to pray, the Spirit and the Son pray for us. That's even better. And so are we spending time in God's Word for the encouragement that we need? Are we spending time in prayer because we've got to come to God? He's the God of encouragement. He's the God who can strengthen us and help us to keep going. If we belong to Him, He is there for us. There's so much in this book. I just want to mention one more verse, verse 13. Down at the end of this kind of first section of, of uh, Romans 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Christian hope is not something we can ever generate. Christian hope is not about our ability to endure. Christian hope is something that, yeah, we're the ones kind of facing our circumstances, but God keeps putting things into that bowl over our shoulder like he's sort of taken over the whole deal. That's what Christian hope is. He's the one that gives the spirit. He's the one that ultimately produces the hope. And so let's be sure that instead of looking to ourselves, instead of looking within or whatever the world likes to tell us to do, that we look to him through his word, in prayer, spending time with the only one that is able to give us hope in the midst of difficult times. I can't help myself. There's one more verse I just want to read. I know I've read a lot of Romans today, and I'd love you to read the whole thing because it really is, this is not easy for me to say, some of you know that, but this is better than steak. Right, this is really genuinely amazing stuff. Verse 25, right at the end of chapter 16, just one phrase. As he comes to the end of his book, he says, now, now to him who is able to strengthen you. That's what we need to take away from this message. Not what must I do to find hope, but who must I look to to find hope. Now to him who is able to strengthen you.